Good morning, and welcome to our fourth week of Advent. We say this each week, but let me remind you that that word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means the coming or arrival of a noteworthy person. Earlier this morning, I had the privilege of praying with some of our volunteers. It's a beautiful thing to be reminded of that when we pray, we are not inviting God into the moment, but rather God being everywhere invites us into the moment. God didn't show up the moment you came in this room. He's been waiting for you. And now we have a moment to remember one of the good things he gives to us through the lighting of candles. Each week we light a different candle. In previous weeks it's been hope, love, and joy. And today, my dear friends, the Prevail family, are going to light the fourth candle of Advent for us. My name is Luke Sun. This is my wife, Erica. Our daughter, Emma. And my brother, Erwin's. This is Erwin's first Christmas with us in America. So I'm super excited to share this moment with my family. Over the past few weeks, we've been reminded of the hope, love, and joy we so desperately needed and God so graciously gave through Jesus. This week, we light the peace candle. 700 years before Jesus' human birth, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. He promised to send one who would be the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. You will be called Wonderful Consular, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Peace of Peace, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government, and peace there will be no end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the peace of Jesus and the knowledge that you keep your promises. Your faithfulness to do everything you said you would, give us peace. Now give us peace to live in this in-between time as we await your second coming. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will, go ahead and grab a seat. Grab your Bibles and turn with me. <laughs> you will grab a seat, grab your Bibles, and turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. John chapter 14 will be there in just a moment. As we've said already this morning, and to those joining us at home, welcome. We are in part four of our Advent series, And He Shall Be Called. We're lifting that language. From the prophet Isaiah's words, which were spoken 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ into human history, when he wrote this statement, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, notice these titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then today, Prince of Peace. Today I want us to explore what does it mean for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. And maybe a better question, and the question I've been wrestling with all week, because it's a question I'm asked regularly. Is peace really possible? It's a question we all ask ourselves whenever we interact with our city. 
when we interact with extended family, when we interact even just by observing the news, isn't it true that this is a fundamental question to human flourishing and to our lives? Is peace really possible? We will say with our mouths that peace is possible, yet with our hearts we often worry that it is not possible. Is there anyone else in here this morning who has ever wondered or worried, is peace really possible? Because I know your preacher has wondered and worried that from time to time. And so we look at the things that are happening around us. We see and we hear things like the phrase, well, we hear the phrase, um, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And that sounds so beautiful. You want to put it on a greeting card or embroider a pillow or maybe one of those Christmas mugs. But then you look around and you're like, mm, sounds fine, but peace on earth? Not this earth. So we hear that Russia and Ukraine are still at war. They've been at war this time last year. So here we are, another year, still war. Only this year, we don't just have that war, we also have a war in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. And then we hear about things like China, how it continues to saber rattle and threaten to invade Taiwan as well as enforcing its will in the China Sea. And then we hear about conflicts in other parts of the world and we just kind of go, peace on earth? I mean, that's a great idea, but do we believe that? Now, I know most of us in this room aren't really worried with the global conflicts, are we, right? You're thinking about next Monday having to go to that extended family's house, and you're just praying, I'm not worried about world war out there. I just don't want someone to strike up World War III at the dinner table. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You're just praying, dear God, please don't let that uncle get drunk this year. It was weird enough last year with the lampshade on his head. Others of you are going, no, 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 it's not the uncle. You're praying that that one niece who's back from college doesn't bring up politics and get into a fistfight with someone else about it. You know what I'm talking about. For some of you, you're like, that would be the miracle at Christmas if that happens. But the world's at war. And then we hear people say, now technically, technically, our nation is a nation of peace because we are not in a hot conflict. But let me ask you a question. If you were to define our nation, if you were to describe our nation, would you describe our nation as a nation of peace? See, it's interesting that word peace has a lot of different different definitions, doesn't it? And the world will tell us, this is what peace means, and yet we don't see it. And the world will even say, here's what peace is. Peace is simply the absence of conflict. Now, friends, isn't it true that you can have a place where there is not open war, but there is no peace in that place? And so here's the good news. Are you ready for some good news? Everybody say yes, so I know you're awake. Okay, good. Here we go. The good news is this. Jesus in John chapter 14, is about to offer to you and to me a categorically different peace. It is not the cheap, we're just going to not fight and call that peace, kind of peace that the world gives. Instead, he is going to offer to us a completely, radically, categorically different kind of peace. And he does so in what would have been one of the least peaceful moments of his life. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus is in a room with a bunch of his friends, and they've just had a fantastic meal. It's called the Passover meal, but Jesus has just transformed it from being Passover about a lamb and God passing over the ancient Israelites when they were in in Egyptian slavery. Now he's brought it to the present. He says, now this is not just about then, but I'm going to take the wrath of God, the sins of the world, onto my shoulders in less than 24 hours. So they've just had this meal, and in the midst of of what would have been one of the least peaceful moments of his life, knowing what lay before him, Jesus says these words in verse 27. 
peace. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. What's he saying? The peace I'm about to offer is categorically different than what the world wants to give you. So do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And that's an incredible promise when he says, I'm going to give you peace. It's not just an incredible promise, but it's incredible because of where and when he says it. Again, upper room, they finish the final meal that he's going to have before he's arrested, put on trial, beaten to within an inch of his life, and then put up naked on a cross and die. And yet he is saying the peace he's offering is invincible to even that? See, see, I want that kind of peace. I don't want the kind of peace that is reliant on everyone just kind of getting along for it to be peaceful. I want the kind of peace that holds me even when death is at my doorstep. See, this is the kind of peace that Christ promises that you can have even when death comes in a world where marriages end, where infertility robs us of our hopes and our dreams, and dementia steals from our pasts, This is a peace that Christ says he will give to anyone. And it is categorically different than the rest of the world. So here's all I wanted us to do for the remainder of our time is I want us to explore three questions. Are you ready? These are the three questions. I'll put them on screen. I want us to look at what is this peace. Come on now. If Jesus is offering us a different kind of peace, I want to know what it is. And then the next question is where is this peace? And number three, how do you and I access this peace? So what is it? Where is it? And how do we get it? Sound good? Here we go. Let's just walk through this. The first question is, so what is this peace? And I want you to understand that Jesus is about to answer it within this verse. Because he's called the Prince of Peace. So what is this peace? And we're going to have to go through a series of questions to get to the answer. But notice, he gives us the answer within this verse when he says, My peace I give you. And then he gives this weird little statement at the end. Would you read those four little words at the very end of this this with me? Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Do not be afraid. Did you catch it? I'm going to give you something, so don't be afraid. Now, this is a strange statement because there's nowhere in Scripture where Jesus says, I'm going to give you my peace, so never be sad. Does he say that? Does Jesus ever say, I'm going to give you peace, so don't be sad? No, Jesus is actually called a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. He never says, I'm going to give you my peace, so never be angry. Did you know that Jesus got angry, church? How many of you remember that moment in the temple where he makes a whip, and he goes in and he clears the temple? By the way, what an incredible scene that must have been. Think about the preparation he must have gone through. He went to a leathersmith and said, I need some strips of leather. He goes over, he weaves them into a whip, and then he goes in. He was that mad. He was that honked off that he goes and he addresses the issue. So Jesus doesn't say, I'll give you peace. That'll keep out righteous anger. And he never says, I'm going to give you so much peace that you must always feel joyful because that's not how this world works. This world is busted. So Jesus is saying, you can have peace and still deal with the pain and the struggle and the sorrow of this life. So peace is not opposed to sorrow. Otherwise, Christ did not have peace. But he does say his peace, now pay attention, his peace is opposed to fear. His peace, 
does not require that everyone just get along. It doesn't require that everyone at your table just kind of smile and pretend like things are okay. The peace he offers is a peace that even works in a world of conflict. Now, how many of us need that kind of peace in our lives today? Now, the question is, he says, okay, so push it out peace. Now, we got to ask a few more questions, don't we? Like, here's the question I, I wrestle with. Like, so where does fear come from? Like, if it pushes out fear, then where does this fear come from? Because we're about to understand why Jesus' peace has the power over fear. Are you ready to get some clarity this morning? I want you to see from Scripture where God gives you power over fear. And his peace is what pushes it out. So where does fear come from? Well, do you remember, uh, do you, do you remember the first story in Scripture between a man and a woman? And, and there's a third person who came in between their marriage. Do you remember who that third person was? A snake. Do you remember this moment? Genesis chapter 3. Crazy little story. So you have Adam. You have Eve. They have everything they could want. They have all the food they could eat. They are... Well, the world is climate controlled. Clothing is optional. Everything is good. And then a snake begins to speak. Now, I've told you this before. If the Bible started with... There was a man named Joshua and his wife named Eve. The Bible would only have two chapters. Because as soon as the snake came slithering in, the next line would have been, and Joshua ran screaming from the garden, and he said to God, I'm not going back in there until you take care of that snake. The problem with the story is that Adam and Eve just didn't have a healthy enough fear of snakes. See, it's biblical. You shouldn't like snakes. It's just the way it is. And they listen to this thing, and they disobey God. And do you notice the very first thing that happens? The very first thing Adam says to God when God walks into the garden and says, Adam, Eve, where are you? What is the first thing Adam says? I heard you coming and I was afraid. Where does fear come from? Write this down. Fear comes from sin. Now, I want to be very careful here. If you're dealing with fear today, I'm not saying that you've sinned, friend. What I am saying is that you and I live in a world that is broken because of sin. We live in a world that is the consequence of sin. So the fear you and I experience is because of the sin that has wrecked and continues to wreck our home. So if fear comes from sin, the next question I have is, so what is sin? Like, how do we define sin? Because if that's what causes fear, and I don't want fear, then I don't want sin. Are you tracking where we're going here? Just give me a little head nod if we're kind of all together here. So here's what sin is. A lot of different definitions. Here's one that I would like for us to use for this passage. Sin is saying to God, I don't need you. Isn't that what Adam and Eve just did in this moment? They're saying, we can be like God if we eat this fruit, then we can be our own gods. We won't need God anymore. And so in sin, they say, I don't need you. And sin then leads to fear. Do you see how this is all connected? And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I want to give you a peace that is invincible to sin, fear, all the things that are robbing you in this life and will keep you from enjoying the next life. So why does sin, saying I don't need you, create fear? Here's why. Are you ready? Let's do it this way. How many of you remember that old song we used to sing? If you grew up in church, and if you didn't grow up in church, it's okay. But if you grew up in church, you know the song. He's got the whole world in his what? Oh, you sang it too. All right. 
How does it go? He's got the whole world in his hands, right? You just, and then he'll say, you got the mamas and the daddies in his... Oh, yeah, yeah, one person over here, okay. And then you'll have like little kids. You'll say, okay, and Tommy, what do you want to be? Oh, he's got the little bitty babies. And then someone else says, oh, he's got the doggies. And they're in his hands. And then someone else will say, oh, he's got the kitty cats. And we go, no, 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 they're from the devil. He doesn't hold them in his hands. And you have God holding almost everything in his hands. Okay, everything. But here's the thing, here's the thing. The moment I say I don't need God, I can be God, then guess what? I'm responsible for holding the world and all of my life in my small hands, and I'm not big enough to do it. Have you ever tried to make sure everyone around you behaves perfectly? Let's just start here. Have you ever seen a two-year-old? That will convince you of the reality of sin in the world, won't it? So if you can't even control a two-year-old, how in the world are you and I supposed to hold the entire world together? We can't. And what ends up happening is when you see that the task before you is bigger than your ability, it leads to fear, doesn't it? Come on, you've seen people who were great at their jobs and then they were promoted to a bigger job, to a job that seemed like they would be great for it, but it was more than they could handle and they crumple under the weight because it is more than they can handle. When you and I say, I could be God, I don't need you, God, that is sin and it leads to fear because we're just not big enough to hold it all together. Now I have to hold my health together, my relationships together, my expectations, my finances, my future, and it gets too much. This is why so many in our world are depressed and suicidal because they have said, God is not God, I must be God, and it has crushed them under the weight of trying. And so where this all comes from, he says, I will be the one who gives you peace. I will push out fear. And the question then is, okay, great, this peace pushes out fear. Where is his peace? Now, here's the great thing. Did you notice the title of Jesus? And he will be called what? The Prince of Peace. So let's talk about this for a minute. Mayors? Well, you're a mayor if you have a town that you kind of lead, correct? Uh, You are a governor if you have a state over which you are responsible. You're a president if you have a country. And you are a king or a prince if you have what? A kingdom. Jesus, being the prince of peace, has a kingdom. Now, what makes a place, a city, a state, a country, or a kingdom? One of the things they all have in common is they all have borders. They have a boundary. We are living in the city of Chattanooga. There is a definable area. We're in the state of Tennessee. There's a definable area. We're in the country of the United States of America. There's a definable area. And so when we talk about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, hear me now. There is a definable area on this earth that he is Lord of. Some people say he is Lord of everything on earth. No, no, no. The devil right now has a lot of control, doesn't he? In fact, Jesus says, no, he's the prince of the air right now. Key words, right now. For there will come a day when Christ sets it all right and the snake is kicked out of the garden once and for all and he is Lord over all and no one questions it. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the God over all. But right now, is God controlling everything that's happening with every person? Is he, is he dictating? No, no, no. 
You and I, there is a definable realm where Christ is king. And you and I have the responsibility and opportunity to either step inside of the kingdom of God or step outside of the kingdom of God. And here's what you need to know. In the kingdom, there is peace. But why is that so many of us are not at peace? Because we keep wanting to step outside of the kingdom of God. Okay, you'll be Lord of my life in this moment, but I want to be boss right now. Any of you ever seen this before? I'm going to be in charge in what I do here, but God, I think I've got it figured out over there. You can lead here. You can show me what to do, but I think I'm going to do this. Where is the peace found? It is found within the borders of the kingdom of God. And I love this idea the Apostle Paul gives He gives some really beautiful pictures. He says this, he says, when talking about the kingdom of God and the borders of God, he says, and the peace of God, which transcends, meaning it's bigger than everything you can imagine, which transcends all understanding, notice this, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word guard is a military term. Now, I know this will shock you. I was never in the military. I know, shocking. But I have watched the military channel. I've watched movies. I've seen how things happen. Uh, I have friends who are in the SEALs and in other military branches who have served in some very difficult places. And they will tell you that whenever they set up a perimeter anywhere, one of the first things they do is they station guards around the perimeter of where they're staying or the border of where they're trying to defend. And they always pick the biggest baddest fellas you can imagine because their job is to not only warn those inside the camp when an attack comes but to defend the camp until everyone else is ready now hear me that's the picture paul wants you to get that when the attack of the world comes when the anxiety comes and it's not make-believe when things are hard he wants you to know that it is the peace of christ that stands at the border of your life and prevents what is coming against you. The peace keeps the fear at bay. This is what the Apostle Paul wants us to see. Now Paul says that on the perimeter of your life, Christ is going to be the one standing guard. And the reason that some of us have no peace is because we keep stepping outside of Jesus' border. What do you think is going to happen if you leave the protection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And then there are others of us. We're Missing the peace, not because we step outside, but we've forgotten that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In India, they have an epidemic of homeless street children. Almost three, or almost 30 million. There's a number of orphanages, but there's one. It's a Christian-run orphanage. And the head mistress tells a story of one night. She was walking through the orphanage, and she smelled something really, really rotten as she was coming into this girl's dormitory. And she followed the smell over to the bed of this little four-year-old girl that they had rescued just a couple weeks before. And they, they get her up and they begin to look around and they lift her mattress. And under her mattress was all this rotting food. And they began to go through it and clean it up. And they recognized bits and pieces of it as coming from the meal they served two weeks earlier when they brought the little girl in. And she got down on her knees and she looked her in the eyes. She said, sweetheart, why did you put food under here? And the little girl who had been there for just a couple weeks said, because I didn't know if you would feed me again. See, I'm worried that so many of us in this room are living in our father's house, but we worry that God won't keep feeding us. We think, well, he did it once, but maybe he won't do it again. 
Do you understand that you have a heavenly Father who delights in your care and He will protect you from the fear of this world? It doesn't mean He will take you out of the problems, but He will protect you when they come against you. This is the beauty of what, this, what God promises when He says, My peace I give to you not as the world gives to you. The best the world can do is say, Well, we're just going to keep things kind of peaceful where people aren't fighting. But Jesus says, I will give you a peace. That is so strong that even when there is conflict, I will be bigger than the conflict and the fear that comes will not come against you. And honestly, I have struggled all week saying, how do I try to explain this idea? And I've got one, and I don't know if this will land, so just just stay with me. Try to work with me here. Um, I think I have one. Are you ready? Here's the idea of this piece. How many of you are familiar with this thing called a weighted blanket? Any of you know what that is? Have you seen these things? Uh, You can buy them in 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds. Um, They they keep you warm, and they also provide a great upper body workout when you put them on. But the way I understand these things work is they're almost like a medical device. They're prescribed for people who have uh, anxiety, um, OCD, uh, different anxiety issues. And there's something, as I understand it, that when they get under the weighted blanket, when they come under the weight, there's something about being held down in place that makes you feel safe. When Paul says that the peace of Christ will guard you, it's this picture of God embracing you, saying, I will hold you down, not just so that you think you're safe, but you are safe. If God is for us, who can be against us, my friends? By the way, friends, do you know why little boys wrestle with their daddies? There's all sorts of reasons. I'll tell you one of the reasons that I used to wrestle with my dad. I love wrestling with my dad, and we'd, we'd play, and my dad was just the best man. We'd, we'd wrestle, and he'd pretend like I was winning. Any of you dads ever pretend like your kids are winning? And some of you are going, I'm not really pretending all that much anymore, right? They, they get big enough, and you're like, oh, I think daddy's just a little too tired tonight. You're like, no, daddy doesn't want a ruptured spleen. And so I'd wrestle with my dad, and he'd pretend like I was winning. And I remember one day, I beat him. And I go, oh, no. And it scared me to death. Because one of the reasons that little boys wrestle with daddy is to know that daddy is strong enough to take care of them. And you don't want daddy to be beatable by a four-year-old boy because if you can beat daddy, then what chance do you have against the guy who might come into your house in the middle of the night? Now remember, I freaked out. I was like, dad, does this mean that I have to protect the family? And he looked at me. And then he picked me up and he body slammed me on the couch. And he said, no. And I felt loved (laughs) under the weight of his embrace. This is what God offers you when he says, I love you so much. The peace of Christ will guard your heart if you stay in the borders of his kingdom. That he is Lord over all or Lord not at all. So how do you receive this peace of Christ today? It's very simple. Notice the word that Christ gives. He says, peace I live with you. My peace I give you. Did you get it? How do you get his peace? Open your hands and say, I accept. You can't earn it. You can't justify it. You can't show how morally upright you are. The scriptures say that even the best things we do are like bloody rags. I'm not even going to explain what that is. It's so gross. But the Bible says that your good deeds and mine are nothing. What are we going to offer God to somehow twist his arm to give us this peace? 
You don't have to twist your daddy's arm. You simply say, I accept. Would you give me what you've promised to give me? And I know so many of us in this room, we hear about this. We go, man, that sounds so good. So when is Jesus going to fix everything that's wrong in the world? Because when we think about Jesus bringing peace, we think, oh man, he's going to go to Washington. He's going to go to the state capitol. But do you notice that when Jesus Christ was born, he was not born in Rome or in Jerusalem. He was born in a little city called Bethlehem. Why? Because God wants you to know that peace is available no matter where you are. Do you remember in the stories that Christ gave, so many of his parables were about agriculture, about a seed being planted into the ground, and how when it just was given some time in the darkness, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, when no one thought anything could take root, this little life form sprouts up and it creates this great big tree. Why is it that he uses so many images like that? Because he wants you to know that where God brings his peace into the world is not in the places of power, but it's in your heart. It begins with you. What happens when you become a person of peace? Then you no longer need to get your peace from other people. Isn't that incredible? Husbands, when you find that you have what you need in Christ and you're not looking for it elsewhere, your peace is already given. Your wives are not a person to get something from. They are someone to bless and to cherish. Your kids are not there to make you look good or stroke your ego. Rather, they're there for you to prepare, protect, and get them ready to know Christ as they enter into the world. When you know that you have a Father who loves you, who will take care of you, you do not look to anyone else for what you need. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, my wife, Lindsay, she doesn't need me. Some of you are going, yeah, Josh, we've known this for a long time. She doesn't. She's never needed me. Why? She has what she needs in Christ Jesus. Now she wants me, and I'm so glad, because it's a whole lot more fun to be wanted than just needed. But my wife doesn't need me. Listen, she will come to my funeral with a date. That's just the way it's going to be. Someone will knock on the door, say, I'm sorry to hear about Josh. Need a ride? She doesn't need me is my point. And when you know that God gives you what you need, you don't look to other people for it. People who have experienced the Prince of Peace's power in their life are not there to receive from others and take, but we simply say, I have no fear. I'm going to just give. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. One final story, and we'll be done this morning. There's a familiar story of a man named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He was not in a good place in his life, It was 1863, the middle of the American Civil War. He was trying to raise five children after his wife had died. And the oldest son had just come back wounded from battle. It was now time, uh, they were now at home recovering and resting. It was coming upon the Christmas season and Longfellow fell into a deep, deep despair. Looking at the world in which he lived, the fear of the war and everything around him. And he wrote a carol. It's this one. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And around the third or fourth verse, he writes the line that I would write when I look around the world. He wrote, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the story doesn't end there because Jesus rose from the grave, friends. He writes on the third in the final verse these words. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. 
God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, good will to men. And when you know that the Prince of Peace has come, then you can rest easy no matter what the world may bring. Let's pray together. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, listen, I don't want to do anything to embarrass you or put you on the spot. But I want you to consider for just a moment. Some of you have never known peace. Certainly not the kind of peace we are talking about today because it's only found in Jesus. And so I want to invite you just for a moment, would you talk to him? Tell him what you need. Tell him what's on your heart. Remember he said, my peace I give. Maybe today you want to say, Lord, I need this peace. Would you give it to me? If you haven't given your life to Christ, you can do that this morning. You find me out in the lobby after this, after this moment. You meet me there and we will talk about what it means to take the next step with Christ. For others in this room, all you need to do is you just need to say, man, I'm in the kingdom, but I've forgotten that my father will continue to feed me no matter what. He'll be there for me. And so today, would you just say, Father, I need it. I accept it. Lord, we thank you for this moment where we remember when the Prince of Peace established his kingdom, entering into human history. And we ask now that as he entered the world stage, he will enter every heart in this room. And that they will know without a doubt that there is one who is both loving and powerful enough to carry them through. For when we have your peace, we have it all. Father, I thank you that because of Jesus, this earth is the closest we'll ever get to hell. But if we don't know you, then this earth is as close as we'll ever get to heaven. So I pray now everyone will open their hearts to you and do business with you. And receive the good news of the Prince of Peace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.